There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the word of the living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through his word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. As we continue in Luke chapter 21, verse 25, Jesus turns our attention to his second coming to the earth. His second coming will be accompanied with signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, Moses wrote that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars for signs, seasons, and for days and years. And these will be showing signs of his second coming. Apparently, from what Jesus our Lord says in verses 27 and 28, there will be enough passage of time to allow the believers to lift up their heads and see the redemption drawing near Jesus himself. And likewise, on the earth, People will be in great distress because of all the seemingly unexplainable phenomena happening on the earth. Well, here's our teacher, Dr. Mitchell, with more detail concerning our Lord's coming to earth. Luke chapter 21, verse 25, on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. We again come to you with our studies in the Gospel through Luke, and we're still in chapter 21, dealing with the prophetic picture which the Lord relates to us in this chapter. And you remember we've been discussing the fact of our Lord's prophecy concerning the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, and of how this was fulfilled in detail, not one stone was left upon another. And then he warns his disciples as to conditions in the earth prior to that time of how they would suffer and so on. And then he spoke of the uh, um, fact that they should leave the city when they see these things coming upon them uh, because there's going to be a great distress in the land, going to be wrath upon this people. God is going to pour out his wrath upon Israel, and they're going to fall by the edge of the sword, and they're going to be carried away captive among all nations. And this, this really took place uh, in 70 AD. And then Jerusalem was trodden down to the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be filled full. As I said before, and I repeat it, this comes from uh, the breaking down of Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar 
right through until the Lord Jesus returns, the times of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles, spoken of in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, has to do with what God is doing now. He is gathering out individuals out of every nation, tongue, and tribe. He's gathering them out to be a people for his name, the Church of Jesus Christ. Again, I repeat it, God is not dealing with nations today. If God were dealing with the nations today, he would, be, he would have to deal in righteous judgment. Indeed, I would say very frankly again, the nations of the earth will, will never learn righteousness apart from the judgments of God. This is what Isaiah chapter 26 declares. But God today is appealing to, appealing to individuals, irrespective of who they are or what they are. He wants to shower his mercy, his love, his compassion upon them. He wants them to experience his forgiveness, to experience eternal life in Christ, to experience a new life, which is found by our union with the Savior. And to them he has given the promise that he would translate them to himself and transform each believer to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember, as Romans 8, 29 says, he has determined that we shall be conformed to the image of his Son. And the Apostle John writes in the epistle, when we see him, we shall be like him. And as Philippians tells us in chapter 3, he's going to change these bodies and fashion them like unto his own glorious body. Or as Paul could say in Romans 8, 18, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Or in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory, and so on. In other words, we have set before us uh, the fullness of the Gentiles as the gathering out of people for his name, the times of the Gentiles, is the Gentile domination over the nation Israel and over his land. And this will be until the Lord comes. That's why we see so much uncertainty today in Palestine, in Israel, in Jerusalem. In fact, I would say to you, and I, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but as I see conditions today, especially with respect to Israel, I want to tell you, my friend, that the coming of the Lord for his own people is very, very, very near. And I'm confident of this because every detail concerning his first coming was fulfilled. And every de detail concerning his second coming to the earth is going to be fulfilled. And everything he says concerning the church is going to be fulfilled. You see, there are three groups in the earth. There's the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 32. And God has a plan for the nations, God has a plan for Israel, and God has a plan for the church. I just mentioned this, I want you to get these things clear in your mind so there'll be no confusion when we come to some of these passages. Now we've just been dealing, as I said, with the, with the destruction of the city and of the temple and of the... Uh, scriptures pertaining to this and the warnings and the exhortations and the, shall I say, the encouragement of his people. And then that amazing 24th verse, the city's going to be destroyed, the people are going to be led captive into all the nations of the earth, fulfilling Deuteronomy chapter 28, 
If you take the last five or six verses of Deuteronomy 28, which I read in the last lesson, it was absolutely fulfilled in detail. Now, starting in at verse 25, we have now another picture, and this has to do with the coming of the Lord to the earth. What we've been dealing with is the destruction of the city and the temple. Now we come to another real division of Scripture, starting at verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, I would like to stop here uh, for a few moments. And he goes on to talk about the, uh, the parable of the fig tree and all the trees. Now, here you have here signs preceding the return of the Lord. I would like to say in this connection that Luke, in writing, does not mention the great tribulation nor the abomination spoken of in Daniel, of Daniel chapter 9. Now, let me repeat that. Luke does not mention the great tribulation or the abomination of Daniel chapter 9. You find this in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. You find it in Mark chapter 13. Of course, you find none of this in, in John's gospel. Uh, in Matthew and Mark, you have, you have our Lord's great Olivet discourse concerning his return to the earth. In John's Gospel, chapters 13 on through, you have our Lord's upper room discourse, which deals entirely with his own disciples and, and what he expects of them and what he's going to do for them. And when you come to Luke, chapter 17, 24 to 30, and in chapter 21, uh, Luke deals entirely, he leaves out this question of the great tribulation and the abomination that's going to be in the temple just before our Lord comes. Now, in verses 25 to 28, these verses which I have just read to you, here you have signs uh, given to us preceding his return to the earth. By the way, there are no signs given to the church except possibly uh, the apostasy, as you have it in First, in First Timothy chapter four, where we read in the first one, two or three verses, in the last days is going to be an apostasy, a departing from the faith, and men shall give heed to seducing spirits and to the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisies, and so on. Or in chapter three of Second Timothy where it speaks of, in the last days, perilous times shall come. He's speaking there of a condition in the professing Christian church. And I want to tell you, my friend, if I were to deal with that subject today, which I'm not, and just, and just present to you some things that are happening in our own land, and for nearly 200 years, a land that's been more blessed than any other country in the world, based on the word of God, godly men, 
I find us going just in the other extreme now. And believe me, we're in high gear. When we threw the Bible out, we ruled in lawlessness. It's an amazing thing to me. We threw Christianity out of our schools, and what have we got? Lawlessness. We've got atheism, communism taught in our schools. Permissiveness. I needn't go into that. Now let's look at this in verses 25 and 26. Notice it is just before the Lord returns, because verse 27 says, And then shall they see. Who's going to see? The world, the nations, men's whose hearts are failing them. Not talking about the believer. This is the return of the Lord to the earth. Now notice it. There are going to be signs in the sun. Or, if I may put the whole thing together, there are going to be signs in the heavens. Now notice it. There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and the stars. In verse 26, the end of the verse, the powers of heaven shall be shaken. In other words, there's going to be a tremendous change in the heavens. I would suggest you read sometime that little book of Joel in the Old Testament, J-O-E-L. In fact, Joel is one of the first prophecies, one of the first prophets that were written. Uh, Joel written about 800 B.C. And in chapter 2 and chapter 3 especially, is dealing with the day of the Lord. And you've got in there where God is going to have Signs in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then in verse 25, we have what's happening on earth. On the earth will be distress of nations with perplexity. What do you mean? They see no way out. And men's hearts failing them for fear because of what they're seeing on the earth and in the heavens. Let me just stop here a minute. You know, the Lord Jesus has done everything to stir hearts. He he just wants men and women to open their eyes and open their ears to hear what he has to say. But men are indifferent, they're cold. Unbelief has produced hardened hearts. They want none of it. Very well then God's going to work his own way out. There's going to be distress of nations with perplexity that see no way out. Friend, when I read my daily newspaper today and read some of the magazines that have come across my desk, I want to tell you, friend, I can't help but believe the whole thing now we're down to the very last end of this age. Nations, This is not a local situation. We we talk about our condition in America. We're not half as bad as some of the nations in the earth. But the whole world, the whole world, you've got distress of nations with perplexity. They can't answer. They can't meet the problem. Sometimes you think you're going to have real peace, and then it dissipates. And when I see what's happened the last two or three days concerning Israel and their enemies, my friend, I tremble because the coming of the Lord in judgment will soon be here. And before that happens, the church of Christ is going to be taken away. What I'm trying to get to your heart is how near is the coming of the Lord. 
signs in the heavens. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Distress of nations with no way out. The sea and the waves roaring. Now, whether you take that as being um, not the actual sea and the waves, but if you want to take it that, you can if you want to. Where you've got un unusual storms, or it could be uh, the nations of the earth with their leaders not knowing which way to turn, raging, not knowing which way to turn. And verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. And when the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. See, friend, I repeat it. The Lord Jesus has done everything for 1,900 years. He's been pleading with men and women to accept the Savior. He's been pleading with men to turn to him. And believe me, if God predicted judgment on the nations in the past, do you think he's going to spare us? I want to tell you, my friend, it's just, it's just not in the cards, if I could use that term. You remember in Second Peter chapter 2, I read, If God spared not the angels that sinned, if God spared not the old world, but over took it with a flood. If God spared not Sodom and Gomorrah because of their, their moral corruption, do you think that God's going to spare those who've rejected him, those who've spurned him, those who've maligned him? Do you think God's going to spare these false Christs and these false teachers? Not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. And yet, by the way, I must bring in here Romans 8, 32, God spared not his own son. I can understand God not sparing the angels that sinned, but he's holding them in chains of darkness in Tartarus waiting judgment. I can understand that. I can understand God uh, overflowing the world with water at the flood when I read what happened before the flood, where the thoughts and the imaginations of the heart of man was evil continually. I can understand that. I can understand God blotting out Sodom and Gomorrah when I think of the, of the perverseness and the, and the sinfulness and the immorality of Sodom. I can understand that. I can understand God blotting out the Amorite nation and those great nations in, in the land of Israel when, when, when Joshua led Israel into the land. I can understand that too. But how do you understand the sinless Holy One, the Son of God, not being spared. Allow me to quote that verse, Romans 8, 32, If God spared not his Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who has pronounced us righteous. God spared not his own Son. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the human family and took your place, took my place, bore your sin, bore my sin, God spared him not. No wonder he cried out in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Yet he could say afterwards, Shall I not drink the cup my father hath given me to drink? And then when he took your place, and I'm repeating it, when he took your place and my place and bore your sin and my sin, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As Isaiah 53 says, he poured out his soul unto death. As he could say in John 12, Now is my soul exceeding troubled, and what shall I say? Father, deliver me from this hour, for this cause came I to this hour. Jesus Christ came into the earth for the distinct purpose of bearing your judgment and my judgment. That's why I took the Savior. That's why I received him into my heart, into my life, put my trust in him, passed from death to life, became a child of the living God. But I look around me and I see the nations of the earth. I see the whole world. They don't want the Savior. They've spurned him. They've rejected him. I tell you, my friend, he's going to come in power and great glory. And I'm not, going to, I'm not surprised. I'm not really surprised that men's hearts are failing them. And when the Lord Jesus comes in glory, and they're going to see him, and they will see him. You mean the Christ rejectors, the indifferent, the sinner, the one who has spurned his salvation is going to see the Savior? They certainly are. Listen to it. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of, with power and great glory. And when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. I tell you, friend, when I see the preparation for this, I lift up my head. I know that the coming of the Lord Jesus is very, very, very near. And you know, it's a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable thing that all over this land, when one has the privilege of going out in Bible conference ministry, holding gospel meetings, and, and we meet God's people, there's a movement among God's people, an anticipation, there's an expectancy that the Lord's coming is very, very near for his own. I mean his coming for the church. I personally believe, I know there are those who don't believe it, but I personally believe that we can expect the coming of the Savior. There's no, as far as I know, there is nothing to hinder the Savior coming for his own church. I know he will not come to the earth until these things begin to come to pass, which we've just been reading in Luke chapter 21. Now, I want to follow through in our next lesson on this very thing. They're going to see the Son of Man coming in power and in great glory. In the meantime, are you ready for the coming of the Lord? I mean, is coming for his own? Are you numbered among those in the fullness of the Gentiles? You've put your trust in the Savior. You thank the Lord for one who bore your sin and put it away. One who died your death. One who became an accursed thing for you and for me. Oh, how God wants us to receive his Son. Take him. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in him. Personal relationship with the Savior is what brings life. And to as many as received him, to them he gives the right, the authority, to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. You believe today and pass from death to life. 
And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.